Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We're serving a God that will never lose his worthiness. He will always be the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He'll never do anything to make, in our eyes, a loss of his worthiness. He's always worthy. Always worthy. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thanks for coming tonight to church. Midweek Bible study. We dismiss kids ministry at the prayer team. Youth class, you've dismissed in Jesus' name. And the rest of us will turn our attention to Galatians chapter 5. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The last lesson, number 10, on the series of 10 weights, sins, and struggles. And uh, it's not the end of the struggle, though. <laughs> we, this, this, is, this is an ongoing battle. Praise the name of the Lord. I think you know what I'm talking about. Tonight the lesson is on our struggle with personal discipline. Personal discipline. Self-discipline. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians written to Christians like you and I. Baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, born again of the water and the Spirit, walking on the road of sanctification, being changed in the image of Christ from glory to glory. And uh, Paul here is uh, straightening out some teachings and exhorting them to do the right things. And then verse 22 begins to say, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Everybody say temperance. Uh, and... Uh, Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Praise God. I want to turn your attention to um, Galatians chapter 5 in the New Living Translation. From verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the King James is temperance. In the New Living Translation, it is also exactly what it is. The self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Notice, every part of our lives. Not just one area, not just a compartment of our heart, or just one certain area of our living for God. It's all of it. Hallelujah. All of it has to be in yieldedness to him. Can you say praise the Lord? Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together. Bless it and crown it with your presence. Uh, open our understanding and our hearts, O oh Lord, to receive your word, that it may transform us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We're talking about temperance and self-control and self-discipline. What is it? It's more than just the exercising of, of uh, willpower. It's more than just saying no to 
our lusts and our weaknesses. It's more than just having the will to quit smoking or quit drinking or quit doing certain things that we know are bad for us. We overeat and we overspend and we chalk it up to a lack of personal self-discipline. We think that personal discipline in, in this, is this in, inward ability to resist what is bad for us emotionally and spiritually and physically. And to a certain degree that is true. That's what self-discipline is and self-control. But it's so much more than just an exercising of our willpower. Self-discipline is not just self-control, but it's a matter of, more importantly here, get the, the, the possession of a right mind. The possession of a right mind. See, right actions spring forth from a right mind. If our mind and heart is right, then our actions and behavior will be right. The New Testament word for self-discipline is related to the English word of government. And in essence, what we're saying is self-discipline is really governing yourself. Not without God. We're not talking about self-government. It's being able to rule yourself. It's restraining yourself from evil behavior with the help of the Holy Spirit of God that he gives us when we're born again. The Spirit prompts us to do the right things. It motivates us in the right direction. It empowers us to do what the Spirit is prompting us to do. But you and I must act upon it. Because God always leads. He doesn't shove. Hello? He doesn't drive us. He doesn't shove us. He doesn't twist our arm. He prompts. He, he, he gently leads. And we have to be sensitive enough and willing enough to follow that lead and to obey yieldedly to its promptings. Amen. And so uh, it's, it's this ability to govern our thoughts and our emotions and our actions in a godly manner. That's what biblical self-restraint and self-control and temperance is all about. Amen. Right actions are rooted in right thinking. I think there's uh, no better example of it than Mark chapter 5, the example of the demoniac of Gadara. And granted, we're talking about a man who was possessed with at least 2,000 devils. Uh, and, and indeed, he, he was a man without any self-control. Let's face it. He was out of control. Like a lot of people in our world today. They're out of control. All this mess going on. You know what? It's spirits running wild. It's spirits on a rampage. A lot of it bring, brought about by, by, by this, this pleasure-seeking, immoral uh, mindset of our culture. It's having and wanting no restraint, no rules, no laws whatsoever. And once they have gone down that road, it's opening up themselves more and more to uh, evil spirits and unclean spirits. And, and that was uh, obviously the, the uh, event that took place in this man's life of Gadara, who had an unclean spirit. Now, it says it in a singular uh, sense, but really, when you go down and, and we see that Jesus asked the name of the spirit, he said, we're legion for we're many. There were many legions, at least 2,000 in the Roman context and Roman legions. It didn't wear from two to 5,000. But as you know, that Jesus came to Gadara, verse 1, and, and, uh, and verse 2 it says in Mark chapter 5, and when he was come out of the ship, 
Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwell among them, the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder, tore apart, with the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. And verse 6 says, but when... He saw Jesus afar off. He ran and worshipped him. The devil couldn't stop him from coming to worship Jesus. And he cried with a loud voice, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I jure thee by God that thou torment me not. And of course he uh, said to him, uh, Jesus, Come out of the man, that unclean, thou unclean spirit. And that's when he asked him his name. And he then... Uh, uh, Resist. In fact, uh, he, they asked that uh, they be allowed to go into a herd of swine nearby, and he did. And of course, Jesus delivered this man from this incredible uh, onslaught by the enemy. And uh, the Bible says in verse 15, I just want to jump down to that, not take too much time with this. But it says, and they come to Jesus, the crowd that heard what happened to this man, how he was delivered by Jesus. And verse 15 says this, And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Now, many times the scripture is misquoted. It is, many times they quote it by saying he was sitting and clothed in his right mind. No, he was sitting and he was clothed and he was in his right mind. Three separate things. But notice that his, he was in his right mind. See, and as a result of him being in his right mind, he was able to sit without being driven, without being fidgeting, without doing, without, without you know, always being driven and pressed. And he was dressed right. Hallelujah. He was dressed. Hallelujah. Finally. You know, when you're right mind, you're going to dress right. When you got your right mind, you're going to act right. And when you're going to have a right mind, then you're going to have peace, like this man did. Peace enough so you can sit still. Hallelujah. And so uh, Jesus delivered him. Now, understand, nobody is born with a, 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 uh, a right mind or with this kind of self-discipline. Now, granted, we're not talking about everybody being possessed by devils if we lack self-discipline. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, in this extreme sense and contrast and comparison is, that this man lacked control. And Jesus delivered him. It was Jesus that helped him to regain self-control. And in a great way. And the same Jesus who delivered the man from Gadareth, the demonic forces, to regain his dignity of self-control can come and help you and I to manifest the fruit of the spirit of temperance of self-control and self-discipline to which you and I want to ascribe to. It's something that God desires to, to birth in us, to manifest in us. It's important to him that you and I be temperate or disciplined in ourselves. Again, no one is born godly or spiritual minded. In fact, 
The Bible tells us we were born spiritually discerned or totally oblivious to God, in other words, and totally ignorant of the things of God, and therefore unable to distinguish and to recognize spiritual things or the value of spiritual things. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you know, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom. If you're not born again, if, if you don't have that deliverance, you can't see the value of spiritual principles. You do not see the value of spiritual rules and, and spiritual self-restraint and the codes of conduct that are li- laid down for us in the Bible. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, But the natural man, the fleshly man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned or unable to distinguish and recognize the value of spiritual things. See, we were born physically alive but spiritually dead. I think we know that. We were also born spiritually lost and our minds were blinded to the things of God. 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 says, But if our gospel be hid... It is hit to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, small g, not big g, not capital G, it's a small g, amen, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds. Right mind, right action. Blind mind, blind actions. Stupidity. Lack of self-control. But... The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The gospel is the answer. Amen. The good news of Jesus Christ is the answer to delivering us from this blindedness and from being spiritually lost. It's God's remedy. God answers. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. I'm going to read that both in King James and NLT. And in Ephesians, Paul says it this way. And you hath he quickened who were dead. See, we're all born dead. If we were not born all dead, then we would have needed Calvary and a Savior. If we weren't born dead, then there would not, to be no need for preaching the gospel of every creature in every nation. But we were all born spiritually dead. And we need a savior. We need deliverance from sin. But beyond that, we need to know how to live a self-disciplined life by the help of the Spirit. So, and you, he's talking to Christians now. In the past tense, he says, Hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins? Wherein in time past, everybody say time past. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, meaning Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. When we walk according to our flesh without God, we're children of disobedience who don't like rules, who don't like to be governed, who don't like to be told what to do. Amen. Among whom also we, everybody say we, everybody say me, (laughs) we, me, hallelujah. But among whom also we all 
had our conversation or our behavior in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, fallen nature, earthly, carnal nature. We were by nature the children of wrath as others, because every time God looked at us, his, his holy nature revulsed at our, at our sin. That's, what, that's why Jesus you know, didn't want to take this cup. Lord, if it would be possible, take this cup. Let it pass. I don't want to drink that. I don't want this. Amen. Hallelujah. But we were by nature the children of wrath. In the New Living Translation, chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians, once you were dead, doomed forever because of your many sins, you used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passions and desires of our evil nature. We were born with an evil nature And we were under God's anger just like everyone else. Notice that. We were born with an evil nature. And we were under God's anger just like anyone else. No wonder we need deliverance and salvation. No wonder we have a problem with self-government and self-discipline. Hallelujah. Because our natural man, our, our fallen nature that we live this newborn again life does not want to be restrained. And we've got a battle on our hands. But again, the new birth changes all this, right? So the gospel is preached to us. Faith comes to us. And and we respond in faith. And when we obey the call to repent and baptism in Jesus' name. And we're filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And as God delivers us from the power of sin. Hallelujah. He gives us his gift, his very own spirit. To give us that power to overcome the power of sin. That is so beholden to this outside flesh. And he gives us that deliverance. So that we would not be drugged back into the world. And into our old lifestyle. Our old habits. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for his spirit. Thank God for his love for us. And when this deliverance and new birth takes place. He also gives us a clean conscience. As you know that. Water baptism in Jesus' name. And the Bible says we're not just getting wet, but it's an answer of a good conscience towards God. It's when the blood is applied to our conscience and you get clean right here. But he also gives us clarity of thinking. Just as Jesus said to, uh, uh, to Nicodemus in John 3, you know, that we're born again of the water and the spirit, then, then you can see. You can see the kingdom clearly. You can see things and its validity and its value. You can... See why things make sense doing things God's way. But when you turn away from it, turn back to sin, all of a sudden your, your vision gets dark again and you lose, you lose your way and you're groping in the dark or you think you're doing right and things that are wrong really seem right to you because you're upside down in your thinking and in your vision because the devil blinds our minds blinds the minds of them that are lost and he wants to blind your mind and mine hallelujah but 
any case. So, so when this deliverance comes in you, God gives us a clean, clean conscience and, and clarity of thinking so we can comprehend God's principles. And he gives us this, get this, sound mind. The right mind is a sound mind. In fact, Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Why? Because from a sound mind spring sound and good actions. So the foundation is there. When you're born again, the spirit is there. But the spirit has to lead us into a new lifestyle of good habits. And unfortunately, too often we fight against those. But when, when we, we're born again and God gives us a sound mind, then we, we see things differently. We think differently. And, and just one step at a time. But this is just the first step, you see. It's just the first step. Just because you're born again and God gives you a sound mind, it doesn't mean that you're all set and you got everything solved. Oh, no. Quite the contrary. Amen. Hallelujah. See, it, it's, it's, it's all just... The, the first step, the beginning of a long-term process on a walk and road of sanctification. It's a process. It's a progressive uh, a road where, where we progress changing uh, our, our ways and changing our habits uh, and changing in his image from glory to, uh, to glory. And we're changed by, by this, this spirit-enabled thinking and this new spirit-enabled vision that we've not had before. And this is what Romans 12, 1 and 2 also talks about. Both, I'll read King James and NLT. Romans 12, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. Now, yes, it, we get this renewing of mind when we get the Holy Ghost, but that has to be worked out. Amen. You got to continue walking this road of sanctification and read the word and apply it to your mind. Saturate your mind with the word so you can see what God's will is and what he's talking about. And so in the New Living Translation, same scripture, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters... I plead with you to give, meaning dedicate, consecrate, to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. If you want to change your lifestyle, you want to change your, your bad habits, you're going to have to change the way you think. You're going to have to subordinate your thinking and your plans, your minds and things, and the way you do things according to the Bible, according to the way of God, not according to your own thinking. Philippians 2.13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Both 
to do, to will rather, and to do. Because you got to will it before you do it. You got to think it. It's got to be in your mind before you can do it. You got to lose weight, put out the plan and stick to it. You want to save money and get out of debt? Make a plan. Hallelujah. Spend less. Stick to the program. Yield to the Spirit of God, the advice of God. Don't follow the leading of your flesh, but follow the leading of the Spirit, and He'll help you get to the goal. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Amen. The New Living Translation says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. Whoo, hallelujah. Aren't you glad that God is on your side? He's not against you. He, he wants us to do better. Amen. He wants us to be better than what we are. He sees and foresees a better self of you. Amen. He knows you can do it. He's given you everything that we need. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, here's the thing. When we're born again, this new birth, uh, as you know, creates a dichotomy. It's, it's a twofold nature, two, compart- two, two things. When we're born again, you know, it, it, it creates a twofold nature in us all of a sudden. And with these two natures to contend with, you know, we got one on the inside and the outside, the inner man and the outer man, the old man and the new man. Hallelujah. The, the outer man is our humanity. It's that carnal flesh we consider. It's that body of sin the Bible also refers to. It, it's this flesh that is exposed to the world. On the inside is our soul. It is regenerated, renewed, is refreshed. It is made alive by the Spirit of Almighty God. And yet on the outside, our flesh is still decrepit, is degenerate. It, it is sinful. It, it gets tired. It gets hungry. It is lustful. It is jealous. It is totally contrary to the nature of God. It's mortal and it will die. The inner man will live forever. And especially one that's quickened by the, by the Spirit of Almighty God. So the outer man is carnal, the inner man is spiritual. We've got this dichotomy, this, 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 this one person with two parts. And these two parts, amen, we call the, the unregenerated man, the new man, the old man, hallelujah, is fighting against one another. You know that. I'm not, I'm not saying anything new to you. But the unregenerated man has only one nature to contend with, and that's his own carnality. But he has no self-restraint. There's, there's no provocation, no motivation for him to restrain himself except the human law. That's it. And even that doesn't work very well, does it? <laughs> human law doesn't work very well. Uh, and so, so the, the, the carnal man is limited to his carnal flesh, but the regenerate person now has got two natures, and he's got this battle on his hand between inward and outward, between the spiritual and the carnal. And this is why Galatians 5, 16 through 25, I'm going to read this to you in the NLT for the, for the sake of saving time. In Galatians 5, 16, and I'm not going to read all the verses, just uh, 16 through 19, and then jump ahead, Sister Kayla. So verse 16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature, again, outward man, wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit, capital S, wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. 
These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, the Spirit of God, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. And of course, he throws that in there because in the context, he's talking to, uh, to Christians who have been uh, deceived into thinking that they have to go back to obey the law of Moses too, uh, besides whatever Jesus taught and whatever the apostles taught them concerning the new birth and so on, that they should go back into circumcising themselves too as Gentiles. And of course, he said, no, no, you don't, you don't have to do that. The Spirit has given you a new way of relating to God and is superior, much more superior to the Old Testament. Amen. The Old Testament was based on outward washing and ceremonies and, and things of the flesh, you know, circumcision. But baptism, water baptism, Jesus' name has replaced all that and, and, and no more oil used to, to anoint kings and, and saints and people. Now it's just the Spirit of Almighty God. You don't have to go back to those things and to the law. Hallelujah. But then he continues in verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And he lists, of course, all the, uh, the, the, the works of the flesh, which we read in uh, uh, Galatians 5 and in King James, uh, as listed as adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, various emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Hallelujah. That's the, the, the fruit of fruit. It's the works of the flesh. And then in contrast to that, he goes into the fruit of the Spirit in verse 24. And again, I refer to the New Living Translation. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part or every area of our lives. Every area of our lives. See, this is why Jesus in Mark 8, 34, for example, other places in the New Testament as well, appeals to his followers to take up the cross daily and follow after him. Amen. This is why he said in verse 24, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions. It's our old man's carnal desires and passions to his cross. And Jesus said in Mark 8, 34, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. That's a key word. Deny yourself. Which self? Your human self. Your human desires. Your human lusts. The one you were born with that's sinful. Amen. He says, call aside people when he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me. Who? Ever wants to come after me and follow me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Meaning all of us have a cross. Amen. Like Jesus laid down his carnal nature on the cross for sin. He had that invisible spirit on the inside of him. He was God manifest in the flesh. And we died on Calvary. God didn't die. His flesh part died. And with us, amen, we are called to do in similar fashion the same thing crucify our outward flesh with him so that the inward spirit, the dwelling spirit of God, can continue to live in us day by day. 
And the crucifixion that he expects you and I to, to uh, continue in is, is not literally putting ourselves on a cross and kneeling. No, no, you know what I'm talking about. You know what the Bible says. It's simply denying ourselves and the will of this human flesh to do the evil things that are totally contrary to God. Hallelujah. And so, you know, it's interesting. I, when I look at this, this statement from Jesus when he said, let him deny himself. I've heard from backsliders more than once. And I don't say I chuckle, but I just, inside, I just, I just groan and, 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 and I really grieve over them and for them. Because many of them, you know, have been born again and they, they backslide. Yes, there are those who fall away and they slide back to their old lifestyle. And, and I've heard more than once say, I have found my true self. I'm telling you, I've seen it on Facebook. I found my true self. Hallelujah. And I want to just come up and say, what are you talking about? Which self are you talking about? Obviously, it's not the new man. Hallelujah. (laughs) You know, and so so they were implying that, that they... You know, that the, the life that they were living in church was not, not their true self. You know, they, they felt it was nothing but a bunch of rules or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, but but they, what they were really saying is that they got tired of fighting the old nature. And they decided to give up their new nature in Christ and give in to the desires of the old self. So here they are as a born-again person that's backslides. You see, you know what? That new man is not who I want to be. After God and Christ and holiness and righteousness, oh no, I'm going to go back to who I used to be because you know what? That's why I enjoy the one. I'm more free there. There's no restraint. There's no governance. Amen. I like to do whatever I want to. And I don't have a pastor breathing down my neck. I don't have any rules in the church to go by. I can just do whatever I want to. And yes, you can. If that's what you want to do. It's your right. Whether you live in a democracy or not, God gives you that right to either live for him or deny him. But you have to understand, once you're born again, you have two selves here. You've got the new nature, a new self, and the old self. And which one do you want to be true to? You have a choice to make. I'm going to be true to the new self or the old self. And the new self requires and demands self-governance, self-discipline, personal discipline. And God offers to you and I as one of the fruits of the Spirit called temperance. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, uh, and I'll read a few verses, select the verses. I'll read the whole chapter. I would recommend you read the whole chapter. Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 6, and and, uh, and get a little deeper insight into what he's talking about. But it's so rich with this very same concept, repeating it time and again, this, this, this comparison and contrast between the outer man and the, old, and, and the inner man. It's the, it's the sinful flesh, carnal nature of man versus the spiritual nature of man. Chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, the outward person, but after the spirit, which is the inward person. Hallelujah. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now I'm going to jump down to the second half of verse 4. He says, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Uh, verse 5, for they, are, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Mind. If you're walking after your carnal, sinful nature, you're going to be minding, meaning you're going to be wanting to do the things that your flesh desires to do. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So if somebody is born again there and they're striving to, you know, to live a spiritual life, that they're going to mind or be sensitive to the promptings, to the motivations and the instructions that the Spirit is putting on the inside of them as they're communing with Him and reading the Word. For verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Hallelujah. Because the carnal mind is enmity. That's rivalry. Spiritual rivalry. Rivalry against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. Hallelujah. Because sin is a, it has, a, has a power and a mind of its own. And God has not destroyed it. not done away with it yet. He can free us from it. But the power of sin is still existing in the world. It will not be destroyed until, amen, uh, when he creates the new heaven, new earth, and he casts all that into the lake of fire. Praise the Lord. But for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So when they that are in the flesh, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Hallelujah. And then I'm going to jump down to verse 12. Therefore, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. In other words, we don't own our fleshly, ungodly carcasses of thing. Now, the Bible tells us, well, you know, we don't want to go fall off too far on the other side of the horse here and uh, forget that this still is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And God wants this temple to be presented and, 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 and kept in a certain way. We can't, we can't ignore that. But what he's talking about here, that you can't be mindful of these, this fleshly, carnal desires. So you don't owe anything to your flesh. So when you lust after something evil, you don't owe it to do anything. The flesh says, oh, I want to you know, drink a fifth of whiskey. And he said, oh, okay. You know, no, he says, no, you don't do it. You don't owe it anything. Amen. Don't do it. And it's the same with many other desires and, and lusts and, and, and fleshly things. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit... Mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Notice it says the deeds, it does not say the promptings and the desires. Because the fleshly desires will always be there. The lust will come at you day to day. Temptation will always be there. 
but it's the deeds that we mortify. We better stop thinking about it. We better stop entertaining it and stop it right there. This is why fasting and prayer is so important in making sure that we stay in the spirit and not in the flesh. So if you don't fast and pray, then your flesh is going to run away with you. And it's going to do whatever it wants to do or not what God wants you to do. So he says, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I want to be a son of God, don't you? I want to be a child of God to whom he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant, in whom I am well pleased. There's an old poem I came across that says this. Two natures beat within my breast. The one is foul. The one is blessed. The one I love, the one I hate, the one I feed will dominate. Mm-hmm. You heard it all one way or another by that. I like that. That kind of packs a punch. You know what I mean? Hallelujah. I heard about the one, you know, with two dogs on the inside, the old Indian story, two dogs on the inside of you, and the one you feed is going to be the strongest. Yeah, but I like this one. This kind of thing. In fact, I'm going to read it to you again. <laughs> Hallelujah. Two natures beat within my breast. The one is foul. The one is blessed. The one I love, the one I hate. The one I feed will dominate. Oh, man, that rhymes. That rings so. I love rhyming poems. I do. I really do. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, so anyway, we're talking about the two natures, right? And we're talking about self-control and self-discipline. Look, when when you're living a a disciplined life by the Spirit, you're going to be able to do a lot of things in this life that you wouldn't ordinarily do when you're not disciplined. I mean, even in a natural sense, discipline uh, does have its benefits. But when you're spirit-controlled benefit, uh, spirit-controlled uh, 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 temperament and spirit-controlled discipline, uh, you can do great things for God. The quality of your life will be much better. Now listen, this is what Jesus came to do. I am, the, the, the thief cometh not but for the steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that they might have a more abundant life. Abundant life that they might have more. No, that, I, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He wants you and I to live abundant life and a self-disciplined, spirit-enabled life is what gives us that abundant life. You'll find that, that people who, who have this, this self-discipline empowered by the spirit, uh, they'll, they'll, you, can, you can master your moods. Whereas others can't. Proverbs 25 and 28, it says, he that hath no rule over his spirit, own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. He that hath no rule over his own spirit, small s, the human spirit, the emotion, is like a city that is broken down without walls, no restraint, no protection. Amen. So it's all about spirit-controlled temperament. And God wants, us to, uh, wants to help us to, to maintain composure in trying times. You'll find that when you're exercising self-discipline, you'll be able to tame your own tongue. James 3, 2, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and 
<coughs> excuse me, and able also to bridle the whole body. You'll be able to regulate your reactions. Proverbs 19.11, the discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is to his glory to pass over a transgression. Discretion meaning not saying words that would offend. So not saying words that offend defers anger, and it is his glory to pass over transgression. You know, some things are just best not to respond to. You know, sometimes we say this one in English, right? I just bite my tongue. It's, 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 it's what it's saying. You know, sometimes it's good to bite your tongue. Don't say a thing. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Hallelujah. Says, not only just reactions, you'll be able to better manage your time and your calendar. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, see, see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, redeeming the time, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. In other words, make the best use of your time. And the, the way to make best use of your time, again, is to walk in the Spirit, pray, and, and seek God in what you ought to do. Ask God to order your steps for the day. And when you do that, and you know, you'll be able to set your schedule and your calendar where you can accomplish more. More of the things you want, and above all, more than more of the things that God wants you to do. Hallelujah. And that's a benefit of walking in the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. He'll help us set our calendar. How about that? Amen. He helps us to he helps us to redeem the time, make best the best use of our time. Proverbs 21.20 tells us that we'll be better able to, to be a steward over all our resources. King James says in 21.20 of Proverbs, There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Want the model language application? The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 4 says that you and I will be able to restrain and control our whole body to the help of God. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. And that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That's the will of God. You know, when you're walking a self-disciplined life, you'll be living a life with no regrets. Or at least fewer. Because we all make mistakes. None of us are perfect. Hallelujah. Save uh, people's disciplined lives. Well, they, they, they live better. It's a pleasure-seeking culture that that hates this idea of self-discipline. They think it's, it's not fun, it's boring, it's hard, it's tedious, but the people who practice it, they're better at dealing with temptation, they're more satisfied in their lives, they enjoy conquering themselves, and they live life more fully in the moment. You know what I mean? They, they, they live fully in the moment. 
being joyed that moment instead of hurrying, being driven through it because they are there with a purpose. It's like Jesus knowing that pretty soon his time is going to be up on Calvary and he's coming through Samaria. He says, I must needs go through Samaria. And we don't know until he gets there. In chapter 4 of John, he sits on the well and there's the woman of Samaria. He needed to talk to, to plant the seeds of revival later on in Acts chapter 8, about 17 or 15 to 17 years later. He did it with purpose. Every step Jesus took was calculated. It was strategic. Nothing that he did was without purpose. But he was very self-disciplined, wasn't he? In fasting and prayer and getting up and going to bed and, and doing the work of God. And he took time to go out in the wilderness too, despite his busy schedule of saving the world. And he went into the wilderness where there was nobody to rest and to seek the will of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Praise God. You wonder how in 33 and a half years he was able to do all that he did. You know, it's called discipline. It's called temperance. Hallelujah. And the people who, who, who conquer themselves and they can live in the, in the fullness of the moment, they're better at setting boundaries. I think that's one of our weaknesses as, as Christians today in the 21st century. Because you know, the, the, <laughs> my wife and I laugh, laugh at these taglines we always hear in our commercials. You know? <laughs> and so many of them use it. Get the results you deserve. <laughs> I don't care if it's a new diet plan. I don't care if it's uh, you know, some, some, some money promised by, by uh, 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 attorneys who are looking for business. You know, I, you know. Get the compensation you deserve. Amen. And I don't begrudge people who, who need compensation. That's not the issue. I'm talking about the tagline that they use to hook people. They're trying to hook their flesh. You deserve a break today. Da -da 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 -da. At McDonald's. Oh, I know who was. Hallelujah. You deserve it. Yeah, your flesh deserves it. See, but the Bible says your flesh doesn't deserve anything. Especially when it's giving your bent to the wrong and to the evil. Don't give in to it. Mm. Don't give in to those midnight snack cravings. <sighs> Hallelujah. I don't know what your weakness is. Sometimes mine is a piece of bread and cream cheese. And sometimes it's a cookie and a glass of milk. Sometimes a salami sandwich. Mm. <sighs> Hallelujah. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But setting a boundaries is important. I mean, I'm not doing too bad. I could be a lot better. God envisions a better self for me too. <laughs> but, but people, you know, when, when generally speaking, when we, when we're in, in, and when we practice self-control, uh, we enjoy life more. We do. Because we accomplish, we tend to accomplish more of what we really want. 
We always talk about a lot of things that we want to do, and we never get to do it because we never plan for it and never discipline ourselves enough for it. Hallelujah. So, so we ought to, to listen to those promptings that God lays on our hearts and, and do it. And, and when we do it, hallelujah. Again, I say we're not perfect. We, we'll make mistakes, but, but nobody's perfect, and, uh, and we'll have less regrets. I don't want to be at the end of my life and say, I wish I would have done this. You don't want that either. You want to go get to the end of your life and say, you know, I got to do everything I wanted to do. Praise God. I've done everything that God told me to do. But, you know, I, I read in one place. I know it's possible, right? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking right now. This wasn't in my notes. I'm sorry, Sister Kayla. Hallelujah. It's not there. But I'm thinking of Paul. Praise God. When Paul says that I have finished my course in 2 Timothy 4, 7. Well, verse 6, go back. For I am now ready to be offered for the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all of them that also love is appearing. He could actually say after his life was over that he, he finished his course. He finished his course. How do you know he finished his course? He knew what the assignment was. It's not that, that, that it, the work was finished, no. But he knew that his part was finished. Is your part finished yet? What is God wanting you to do? What has he called you to do? And how much are you disciplining yourself to accomplish that? Are you making the best use of your time? Well, only you can answer that. But we know that, that self-discipline is, is so very important. And it's important because the Bible tells us in 2 Peter 3, 1 through 4, that God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And the exceedingly great precious promises are given to us. Let me just read that. In fact, uh, let me see if I can read that in the NLT do you have that in NLT, Sister Kayla? Or do I need to go on that? 2 Peter 1.11. 2 Peter. Hallelujah. A quick transition into, uh, into my other application. And this is a new setup. There we go. Number one. Oh, King James Version, let me switch to NLT. Here we go. Aren't you just glad for digital stuff? <laughs> <sighs> Praise God. Amen. I do enjoy the hard copy. And there's no substitute for this. I'm not getting rid of this ever. It's a good backup. Amen. See, the battery runs down. The battery never runs down on this one. <laughs> Thank you. Can have a power outage and everything else. You know, screen might give out. Mm -mm, the screen never gives out on this one at all. Hallelujah. Praise God. So this is Peter, a letter of Peter. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith 
was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in the knowledge of our God, Jesus, our Lord. Now, in verse 3, he says, by his divine power. So he began in verse 2 saying, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God. See, God expects you and I to grow in our knowledge of him. Do you know more of him than you did when you first started? Amen. We all should. In knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. The King James talked about to become partakers of his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort. King James says diligence, means painstaking effort. In all this, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. That's a virtue. Moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And from self-control proceed these other things. From self-control, patient endurance, long-suffering. Long-suffering, patience. Amen. It's a product of self-control. Because God puts you in a certain situation... Hallelujah. And if you can control yourself without losing your temper, losing your balance, and losing your focus, hallelujah, then you can have patience. So with self-control, patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, that's living in a godly way, and responding to the world by living right and not their way. And godliness with brotherly affection. That's also self-control. It's purposefully turning your heart to the people of God and loving them. And brotherly affection one step higher for love for everyone. All from self-control. From personal discipline. And verse 8, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard. That means be diligent again. Work hard to prove that you really are among those God, those that God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. See, Peter's just basically telling us, look, you've been, you've been given great promises. You've been given great resources and power, everything you need. So go out there and make your best effort to become that Christian that God wants you to be. And God's going to help you. And that's why you've got to exercise self-discipline and, and self-control. To realize your full potential of all that you can be for God. Therefore, take up your cross and follow after Jesus and be his disciple. 
and deny the outward man, but live after the inward one. Hallelujah. That's the heart of a disciple. In fact, discipline, right? The root is disciple. It's the same root. Shall we stand? Praise God. Hallelujah. So, if you and I want to have more control of self, of being the will of God, we got to have that right mind, that sound mind that the Spirit gives us. We need to pray and we need to ask God to help us with our self-control. We need to be intentional about submitting ourselves to the will of God. Intentional about our yieldedness to his lordship in every area of our lives. Yield yourself, like the scripture said, every area of our lives. We've got to saturate our mind with the word. Saturate that mind so we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the saturation of the word doesn't mean just to read but to study, it's be slow about the word. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to a good restaurant, I don't, I'm not there to see how fast I can eat my food. Right? If I'm going to go for a steak, I'm not going to cram everything down as fast as I can, guzzle my drinks, check. It might give me some nourishment, but it sure it wouldn't be enjoyable. Sometimes I've had to do that. A few times I did, man, it's like a rock swallowing a rock, right? Oh, man. Indigestion, you'll feel horrible. And, you know, it's similar with the Word of God. God doesn't want us to, you know, to force feed ourselves. He wants you to sit down and enjoy the meal. Hallelujah. Take the scripture and enjoy it. It's a personal letter from his heart to yours. And let it just saturate your mind and, and, and try to get something out of it. And then see if that scripture you're reading or that segment you're reading, how that would apply to your life. How would God want you to change something in your life if that spirit is prompting you? That's, that's how this is designed. It's not that you should come to church just twice a week and then get some word. It's, it's you're supposed to be digging into this yourself. Because what, look, I mean, if, if all you did was eat two meals a week, you'd be a pretty thin person. You want to lose some weight, just eat two meals a week. Ha, diet solved. It doesn't work for the human body. It doesn't work for the spiritual body. Don't neglect your spiritual man. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, you know, that except you be hungry and thirsty after the righteous. They that are hungry, thirsty after the right, they shall be filled. We've got to come to the realization that, that hunger and thirst, a spiritual hunger and thirst, is a matter of life and death. Eating and drinking in the natural it's a matter of life and death. If we don't eat and drink, we die. But in the spiritual, Jesus wants to bring the same point across. That if we don't drink and we don't eat, we don't drink of the Spirit and we don't eat of His Word, we die. 
but he doesn't want us to die. He died to make us live. So saturate your mind with the word. Saturate your spirit with his spirit. Pray in the Holy Ghost. And as you're growing self-discipline, you'll be growing in spiritual strength. God will be using in ways and areas that you never thought possible. You'll be doing things for God. You'll be getting ideas. You'll be getting promptings and passions come your way that you never even realized God was going to do when you. God can do great things through you. And I close with this last scripture in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 in NLT. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs? But only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. Hello? They that do it, they do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Hallelujah. Listen, there's some changes God wants to make in you and I. And there's some things hidden on the inside that God wants to bring forth into perfection if you would just give it time, attention, and focus and self-discipline. I read in a research paper that they have, they have studied the lives of, of certain successful people, Brother Brian, and they have found all across the board, it doesn't matter what profession it was. It could be a musician, it could be a mathematician, it could be whatever. That it took literally 10,000 hours to get to master into perfection whatever they were pursuing. 10,000 hours. You know how much 10,000 hours is? It's one year, three months, and three weeks. One year, three months, and three weeks. And if you want to accomplish anything, that God put in you and bring it to perfection. I'm not just talking about spiritual things now. I'm talking about, hallelujah, things for the kingdom, but in this world. Maybe there's something that God wants to perfect in you that would be, benefit his kingdom in a great way. Maybe even try thinking about going back to school and getting that degree. Maybe you're thinking about pursuing some business. Maybe you're, you, I don't know what it is that God laid on you. Maybe, you know, being a missionary or, or, or starting a church somewhere. And you say, who, me? You'd be surprised what you can do if you focus on it. And let God motivate you and prompt you and follow that. Ooh, hallelujah. Maybe you can be a professional musician like Amen, like Brother Corey Ivy. Have your own studio, like Andrea. Others, amen. Professionals. 10,000, you're only 10,000 hours away. One year, three months, and three weeks from being a very successful, highly successful person and what God leads you to do. But we need God to do it. We need God to do it. Like Paul said, 
listen, we're, we're running a race, but we're not, not fighting flesh and blood. And we're not out here winning worldly prizes. We're here to win the race and get the prize of Jesus Christ. It's well done, my good and faithful servant. It's that crown that he gives, the crown of righteousness to all them who finish the course as he has. Praise God. Would you just lift your hand right now where you are? Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray for this congregation. I pray, oh Lord God, for every heart, every mind, and every desire. I pray, oh Lord, that each and every one of us would yield to you and your spirit and to the sound mind that you had given us at our new birth. And I pray, oh Lord God, that every mind and every heart in here, Lord, would be in unity with you and that they would be open to the leading of your spirit and to your promptings. God, there are passions in here. And there's some people here right now that feel it's too late. But it's never too late. You're, God, you're the God of the second starts. It doesn't matter, matter how old we are. Hallelujah. Praise God. You can be a 120-year-old Abraham to marry again and to have six more children. It could be an 80-year-old Moses that was called to lead Israel out of Egypt. God, you can do all things. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what our age is. We could be even young. It's not the age that matters with you, but your will, your perfect will. Lord, I pray that your perfect will would be accomplished in your people here tonight. May we be awakened to that will. And they would be infused with fiery passion to accomplish that which you gave them to do. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Go ahead and sing.